Welcome to Inside the Path to Success podcast, brought to you by Opulus, where you go behind the scenes with financial planners Ryan Greiser and Fran Walsh to hear stories about how leading entrepreneurs, millennials, professional athletes, and coaches navigate the natural challenges that arise on the path to success and how to advance to the next level. And now, here are your hosts from Opulus, Ryan Greiser and Fran Walsh. Welcome to uh, an episode of Inside the Path to Success podcast. Excited about our guest today. We got our man Tyrone Ross, CEO of On Ramp Invest. A little background on Tyrone before we get going here. He was a 2004 Olympic trials qualifier in track before he got into the financial services industry, and he's been blazing the trail there for himself. 2019, he was an investment news 40 under 40, wealthmanagement.com top 10 advisor, financialplanning.com, one of the 20 people who will change wealth in 2020, and most recently, Investopedia's top 100 financial advisor. And unfortunately, a disgruntled New York Giants fan, as I've come to find out. So Tyrone Ross, welcome. (laughs) How are you, sir? Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Absolutely, man. So, well, you know, before we, we dive into things here, why don't you just give a little, a little bit about your background aside from what I just shared about your story from, from being an athlete to the CEO of On Ramp Invest? Yeah. So I got to start with being the um, son of superhero parents, Carol and Tyrone Ross, uh, born and raised in New Jersey, proud New Jersey. And even though I am fully adopted Southern California right now, as I'm staring out the window, it's 70 degrees in February. It's okay. Good <laughs> enough of that. Um, but it's funny, my, my journey is one of, it was a very circuitous route. I grew up in a home with no financial education, um, no bank accounts, no stocks, no, none of that stuff. Like we very much operated for a long time outside of the traditional financial system, which is why it's easy for me to embrace crypto assets. So for me, before I walked onto Wall Street, I was a juvenile probation officer, right? Um, and that that's one piece of my story. But before that, um, it was in graduate school where I had a professor mention um, Wall Street. And he's like, oh, you'd be great on Wall Street. And I'm 25 at the time. I had no idea what he was talking about. I'm like, what is Wall Street? Right. And he couldn't believe it. I was like, I just I did not know. Like, it wasn't anything that was growing up there. And then for me, my goal was to be an Olympian. And, you know, I got a I was the first in my family to finish high school. The only reason I was able to go to college because I got a full scholarship. I uh, went to Georgia Tech. Um, it's funny now. <laughs> Um, being the CEO of a tech company and I couldn't pass Calc one when I was there. So, um, but, you know, got kicked out of Georgia tech twice, still hold the school record for that, I believe. Um, and then I came back to finish up at Seton hall, but my dream was to become an Olympian. This to me is like, is, is borrowed time. So in 2004, I did qualify. I was on my way to live my dream and I get a call and my friend is like, where are you? I was like, man, I'm on my way to the airport. He was like, don't get on the plane, man. I'm like, what are you talking about? And at this time, they used to take. So if you look at every other year besides 2004, they filled the field of 30 to 32 runners. This year, they took 27. Me and the 28th guy had the eighth time. They left us both out. Mm. Crush me, right? Crush me. 08, I was actually working on Wall Street for two years now at a firm called Financial Dynamics. Still training, and I ended up a half a second off the qualifier. And then 2012, which was my last shot, I tore my groin two weeks before the Olympic trials. 
um, was about to begin and fell into deep depression and almost committed suicide Mm. because that's what I wanted to be. Um, And I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to be after that. So none of this was planned. Right. Um, So this journey has been one, again, very secure. There's a lot of deep pockets and stories to it, but all, all of it has come together now to make me what I am and to make on ramp what it is, but we can dig into any of the pockets there as you see fit. I know. I yeah, man. I, I mean, me and Fran are both division one, former division one football players. And, and I see a lot of guys myself where my whole identity was wrapped up in me playing football and trying yeah. to play in the NFL. And that's all it was. And when that was gone and I got cut mm-hmm. <laughs> and I couldn't play anymore, I didn't know what else to do. Like, this was everything I worked for since I was like 10 years old until 22. Now what? So what was that process like for you to be able to pick yourself up mentally and push yourself forward from, from the time that you knew you kind of had to hang up your cleats? Yeah. And I also want to say I did play football in high school, but I couldn't catch a beach ball. I was fast <laughs> as hell, but I couldn't catch a couch cushion. It was terrible. Um, but and now I'm the I'm the, literally the biggest college football fan on earth. Like I'm a junkie. Um, but anyway, so for all of the athletes out there, and again, I have a lot of friends that are football players, basketball players, professional athletes, whatever. I see my friends struggle with this transition. And luckily for me, while I was still in my, you know, and I had a very successful career as a pro runner, right? Like it was it was good for not being sponsored. But I had always was, you know, had a career, if you will, in the background. It wasn't like it was full on. So that helped. So I did have this finance background. I, you know, I was, you know, already had started to be an advisor. So I started to understand all of that. I had some connections, but still like when it's really over and you have to figure out what the next step is, I did struggle with that. Because you're like, all right, I've spent 16 years of my life. I've poured everything into this, and now I'm gone. I have to find a new identity. And I'll be honest, the only way it would happen is because I, I had to have been shattered. I had to be broken down as a man. Everything had to be crushed. My, like literally 2012, if I tell you that year of my life, you wouldn't believe it, how everything went wrong and horribly wrong. So I, everything I identified with had to be shattered. Everything I thought I was going to be had to be shattered. All of my insecurities, weaknesses had to be shattered. Well, exposed, right? And then shattered. And then the strength that I relied on of that athletic gift. Again, you're born with that, right? Like we just, the three of us picked good parents as D1 athletes. But now when you're alone, four o'clock in the morning and you're like, all right, I bought the ticket. I want to die. It was one of those things where I couldn't figure out the next step. So through a lot of suffering, a lot of tears, a lot of drama, I just started to do what athletes do. We get up every day and we just, I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get stronger. I got back in the gym. I kept training. And then once I did that, it started to feel familiar. And then I started to take to, I was like, you know what? I need to, I went on this like apology tour for whatever reason. 2013, I wrote a thank you letter to anyone I could remember my whole entire life, the whole year. I wrote thank you letters the whole year. And then I discovered crypto and Bitcoin in 2015. But I just really started to lean into the network that I had and trying to figure out, okay, well, what was the next thing? So I think a lot of athletes struggle with that because you got to have this glimpse 
of the next step while you're Mm -hmm. in the current step. Right. And it's tough when that's gone. I'm 30 something like literally it was 32 years old. My track career was over. Now what? So it was everything just being shattered. Right. And when you look down at the ground and you got all these shattered pieces, all you can do is go. Oh, that piece looks familiar. Let me pick up this one, right? And then, oh, that one, right? And I just started to piece it together. And then once I started to renew myself and become a new man, all these opportunities came. And I'll end here by saying this. Thank God for mothers, right? My mother would say this all that because I, when I tell you I was insane, I'm still an insanely driven person. I still compete and train to this day. My mother said she would always tell me when I was disappointed, whether in 0408, 2012, and things. she said, you're more than just a runner, son. There's more in you than just, you're more than a runner. And I joke with her now because she was right. So those leaning on my network, leaning on family, and then my life just completely utterly destroyed. I had no choice but to pick myself up. Um, and you got, and you both know when you have no way out, the only way is through. So mm-hmm. I had to go through it. And then come through it, it was kind of like, oh, this is this is cool. I can do this and I can do this and I can still lean on that athletic because that never leaves you. Right. So, yep. you know, it, it just takes on a different form in a new life. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, you pick yourself up, you start getting yourself back into a groove of things. Uh, you're working on Wall Street. When did you first get attracted to the crypto asset space and what kind of brought you down that path? Yeah, absolutely. So I was at Merrill Lynch. Um, it was, it was 2015 and a friend of mine who was a Ruby developer. So this is the same dude who used to make our fake IDs and always tinkering <laughs> on computers and all that. And he's like, bro, I got to tell you about this new money. And I'm like, Oh God. Right. And by this time I was in the trainee program at Merrill Lynch. I've been brainwashed 60, 40, uh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you know, yeah. financial planning. Everything is nice and neat. Don't rock the boat. And he's going on and on and on about Bitcoin. And I'm like, man, I just don't get it. And he knew my background. And he said, all right, I give up. And I'll never forget this day. I went home. I had a big meeting, right, to close a big piece of business. And he goes, he caught me. He goes, stay where you are. Download this app. It was Bread Wallet. And he was like, download this app. I'm going to get three of us on the phone. We're going to do a three-way. And he's like, I'm going to send you some just so you can see how it works. And he sent me Bitcoin and I saw it hit my phone like right away. Like I saw it. And he goes, I literally forget his words. He goes, the magic trick isn't over. So he's like, now you're going to send it to this dude. I didn't know who the dude was. And that was his whole point. Like, you don't even know him, but watch this. And I send it to him and then he gets it. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? Right. And it was like three minutes. You know what I mean? The whole. Yeah. So at that moment, if you grew up like I did in an unbanked home and then eventually an underbanked home and and watching my mother cry, trying to find the next check cash in place so we could keep the lights on or we could eat, you get crypto right away. And I was smitten and he put me in his Facebook group chat, super smart people talking about all types of stuff that I understand now. I didn't know what the hell a shot 256 was then or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. But I'm looking at the stream and I'm like, wow they are giving each other some terrible investment advice. <laughs> I'm like, this is so bad. And I remember going to my mentor at Merrill Lynch and telling him about it. And he was like, I don't know, you know, kind of doing the whole thing. But he was like, if you believe in it and, and there's an opportunity there, like, all right. And he was like, but just, you can't do it at Merrill Lynch. Like, 
And I brought it up in a couple of advisor meetings and they looked at me like I was cursing their mother's name. So uh, 2016, I had a meeting with Howard Lindzen. Howard Lindzen told me, he's like, go learn everything about early stage startups and crypto is not a financial advisor in the country will catch you. And that's what I did. And in 2017, I left, opened my own RIA, working with startup founders who happened to own a goblet of crypto back then. And here we are today. It all runs together, man. It's like five minutes, but it all happened in the, in the last five or six years. And it's unbelievable, man. Like everyone always talks about nowadays, like, oh, I wish I got in back in the day. I heard about it, but I didn't jump on it. You were the one of the guys who actually did it. So yeah. there's a, you're a real, you're a real yeah. actual story of someone who actually succeeds doing it. So yeah. I want to touch on one of the things you mentioned was about you know growing up and what that meant to you guys as an underserved family and how you understood it right away. What are your thoughts on how crypto in general, what it can mean to not only the underserved, but the but wealthy individuals and kind of what it means as a whole for society today? Love, love the question. And this is why I am such a proponent of it. And I will, I will again, stand tall for it in, in any moment. As far as those that grew up like myself, if you look at it right now, we don't have a real-time payment system in this country. That's an abomination. If, if Bitcoin did nothing else, it shined a, it's disinfected. It shined a big light on that, that we talk about the, the haves and the have-nots and income inequality. Well, why? Like Japan has had a real-time payment system since the 70s, right? ACH is, was built back in the 70s. We're using wires still, right? And if my mother was able to have a bank account and it wasn't so expensive with overdraft fees and everything else, and she could put that check in the bank and know that it's going to settle then, maybe my childhood right now, as we sit here, wouldn't be in storage. And it is. I don't have a childhood home I could take you to. I could take you to all these places I live. But if the landlord wants his money, imagine to be able to just send them some stable coins. All right, get out of here. Right? Like we paid you. Move on. But when you look at, go to any inner city on a weekend and go to the post office, look at the line of people that are in the post office to get money orders. My mother still gets money orders. How I know this, right? So look at how many times Walmart has tried to become a bank and they told them, no, you can't get the bank charter. But you look at the demographics of people who shop at Walmart. These are people who they want to remain underserved, people who they want to keep on that kitty, if you will, of a horrible banking infrastructure and system that wasn't set up for the have-nots. It just wasn't. As far as wealth managers and folks that we are dealing with here, again, look no further than ACATs or clients having to fund accounts with wires or any of these things, instant settlement. It, it just it, It's hard to look at it and look away once you saw it of the possibilities, right? Now you get into DeFi, right? And what decentralized finance means, right? All, and I've, I've been saying this to people all the time, is if you go back to the 16th century slaves, West African slaves, there was something called a SUSU. A SUSU was the first blockchain. Well, what is it? It's basically 10 people come together. They all put in $100, $1,000, right? It's a pot. Everyone's going to get that pot at a scheduled time. And there's one, like an oracle that determines when that's going to happen. And it's trustless. We look the same, we take the same bus, we speak the same language, we're from the same country, right? I'm Caribbean. All my Caribbean people listening to now feel me, right? My dad is from Guyana, right? Asusu is how my aunts and uncles bought houses and cars and fed us and sent us to school. So now there's this clock that is set that everyone gets the money. It's trustless. No KYC, AML. What does that sound like? A blockchain. 
right? So it's easy to get these folks to understand the technology in that vein, but we don't do a good thing of explaining it to them. But there's a bigger issue here. There's a digital divide in America where folks aren't used to doing anything on their phones before crypto. My parents don't use an ATM, right? They walk up, they fill out the form. And so there's a digital divide that's yet to be addressed. Bitcoin also forces that digital divide to come into play and folks go, oh, they don't even know how to. Yes. Now go to DeFi. So wait, I got to move money to MetaMask and then MetaMask, I got to move it to OpenSea. And then I got, see what I'm saying? So it's a very privileged elite class that understands this stuff. So we are in a very, very small minority, even amongst the wealthy. Right. I was was gonna say, even advisors we talk to, ninety-five percent of them, like, what do you mean I got to move it from Coinbase to a MetaMask to purchase it on an Anchor Protocol? And like, how do you figure this stuff out? Right. There's a huge divide, even even among, especially in the underserved community, but even amongst the wealthy individuals too. Yeah, absolutely. And and the 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 three of us, right? We can change this conversation to any topic we'd like. We would be conversant. Right. The average person isn't like that. And even if you look at asset managers, wealth managers, private equity, whatever, again, they still don't really understand this. So the opportunity, we're still so incredibly early. Right. Yeah. And and you all know this. Like we're very, very early, which is why I say we're at peak mass acceptance where folks go, all right, crypto's not going away. Mm-hmm. When we hit mass adoption, yeah. then it's over, right? It's really over. And we probably have gotten there because McDonald's was trolling. Crypto folks on the way down is recent downturn. So I think that might be the first sign of mass adoption. But um, great question. And again, I think it's just something for me where I wholeheartedly believe what it means for the underserved and the folks who grew up like me and the 2 billion folks globally who don't have access to financial service. Every time the Bitcoin uh, blockchain survives, not the little B, not the price, but every time that chain runs, uptime gets stronger, right? We're, we're, um, just looking at some of the data from Delphi Digital, right? Hash rate as strong as ever, um, all-time highs. That means that every day that Bitcoin is alive, it provides financial access to billions of people. Mm-hmm. What is that worth? I don't know. Yeah, it, it's right. incredible. And we just experienced this firsthand recently. We just did an ACAT for a client we were bringing on board from a major wirehouse. And they said, oh, there's an issue with the ACAT system. The transfer does supposed to take seven to 10 days, ended up taking 45, right? 45 days to move a client's assets from one institution to our custodian. Meanwhile, we transferred a client's Coinbase account to our custodian with on-ramp invested Gemini in five minutes. They said, hey, here's my Bitcoin, send it. Here's my ETH, send it. And it's done in five minutes, live, real time. And that... I've had a lot of aha moments with digging into the digital asset space, but just how obvious it was with that one experience and how much better it was for a client was incredible. Yep. And and it's so funny. And I know you guys experience this as well. It's like you hear about ACATs or trying to do a rollover from one, a 401k to another. Like Spend you get so hours. frustrated. Yeah. It's so, you get so frustrated when you realize it's like they're doing this on purpose. Right. Like they're doing this. So, so you just get incredibly frustrated. Um, and that's one of the things with, uh, you know, I tell VCs this when we talk to them. It's like if you are an entrepreneur, you're building something and you have this idea. It's like you have this big problem you want to solve, but you find all these little sucky problems along the way yep. that you can. You're like, oh, if we could spend time and fix that, because, man, that sucks, you know. 
Um, but it's it's one of those things where, which I'm proud of, of our team at OnRamp is like we're finding the cracks in the sidewalk, right, to allow. And I've been saying this, the wires, the ACH, we need wallet to wallet, right? You know, wallet to wallet transfer, you get it. Like all these different things that are there that crypto and the rails allow where we're going to allow you all to bill in real time and get paid in kind if you want. Right. Billing in arrears or quarterly in advance. Like you don't have to do that anymore. Right. So there's all these really cool things that, you know, crypto networks allow. But yeah, man, we could talk about this for the next three. I know. <laughs> I know. So, so, so I me too. I get all fired up about this stuff. So, so I know we have a couple minutes left. So last two questions for you. How how deep could crypto assets penetrate right, our everyday life in the next few years? Man, it's a couple of things here. I'm going to point to one thing because it doesn't get enough credit. And when it was announced, and I believe it was 2018, I couldn't believe how quiet it was. Microsoft had said that they were building their decentralized ID on Bitcoin, right? Remember, they were tinkering with ETH mm-hmm. and they moved to Bitcoin. And then I think Adam Back and Satya Nadella posted a picture. And I remember losing my mind. And I was like, why is this not being picked up? everywhere. Like this is a big deal. So I think that's exactly it, right? You get into decentralized ID. I also believe decentralized custody is going to be a thing, right? Um, You get into decentralized SSO, which I'm excited about. You get into decentralized finance. And and again, decentralized takes on different terms here, but, or, 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 focus, if you will, but I think it's going to literally slowly bleed into everything. But what's beautiful is there's one thing that every human being, as a few, but there's one thing every human being needs is money. Mm-hmm. You need money to survive. Crypto starts off as money and now it's going to break into everything else, right? Uh, trust in estate planning, um, you know, houses, cars, technology, like all these other things is going to permeate slowly into society. But I think the decentralized ID part, and when you look at now all of the major companies that are looking at this, I think you go, okay, there's a way now where our aunts and uncles and grandparents are going to be using it in the background and they don't even know. We're going to be like, that is cool, right? So I think think that day is coming quickly. So, So on that, what's your one bold prediction for the future when it comes to crypto? Bold prediction? Oh, I got so many. Um... I believe two things. I'll give you a recent one and I'll give you one in the future. I think, and I can't say it now because it's conversations I can't disclose. By the end of this year, every RIA, and I mean the notable behemoth ones, will be doing something in crypto, whether education, allocation, whatever. The RIA space is coming in mass. Like it's coming. The wave is real. Kudos to you all because your business is going to go parabolic because you were here first. The other part is, I believe truly that there will be a day where a dynasty or a beacon point or a high tower or a Carson are going to face one another and and ask, uh, they're going to have 100 clients who want to swap Amazon for Ethereum. And that's going to happen in real time in any account, anywhere in the world, right from the client's pocket. And they'll just tell the advisor, hey, here's what I did, is what happened. And I think that decentralized custody, atomic swap, right? Asset for asset, tokenized securities, right? Real time, anywhere, any wallet, robo advisors for yield, like all of that, where it's just automated and it's just going. 
and it's just working for the client. And then the advisor is there just as a discretionary monitor, if you will, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a thing. So that that's a big future that I believe in. And one, I hope to build, to be honest. Love it, man. Just, there's so much stuff I want to talk about. But, <laughs> here, but, Part two. But, it's good. This could be a three-hour podcast. I know we're at time <laughs> yeah, we here. Need, so. We need to do the Joe Rogan style. Yeah, it's just got yeah, like three yeah. hours. I know. So listen, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it here, man. I know you're a big guy on legacy. Right. So, so as a CEO of a, of a tech company focused on digital assets and crypto, what responsibility do you have or do you feel you have to your culture, to your family, to who you are and who you're looking to, to be in the future? I have a responsibility to my mother and father to make sure that they finally know what's like, what it's like to go upstairs and live in their own house. They live in cramped apartments their whole life. So it's my responsibility to take care of them. I'm their retirement. I have a responsibility to a child that went to bed hungry last night. And I have a responsibility to the many homeless people that I'm going to see on my way to the grocery store that I fight for them and advocate for them because they don't have a voice. And I do. And I don't really care about the letters after my name, except for the fact it gives me a big megaphone to enact change in this country and get us back to believing in the power of humanity. And when my heat, my feet hit the floor every day, I dare anybody to, you know, to say, oh, you won't affect that change. I will. Um, so that's really what this is about for me. And that's the legacy that, wanna, when, that I want to live. So when I take my last breath, there should be somebody that walks into my funeral and say, my life is better because he breathed there. And if that happens, I did it right. That was awesome, it, man. Yeah. So, so where can people find you on social? And, and I know you're, you're big on the, uh, no kids, uh, left hungry organizations. So why don't you share, share that before you wrap yeah. up? Um, I'm a Twitter junkie. Um, like it's real life. I'm an addict. So you can find me at Twitter at TR401. Um, LinkedIn is Tyrone V. Ross Jr. Um, and Tyrone401 on, on Instagram. And yes, I don't like plugging myself, but I do like to plug nokidhungry.org. Um, help me fight child hunger in this country. It's ridiculous. The children are hungry. I was that child on the lunch line at one time with no lunch money. So m- one of my goals is to make sure child hunger is it's completely abolished in this country. So we'd appreciate if folks do that. I don't want to go without saying this. It's, it's a powerful thing when people believe in your vision. And it's, it's also a powerful thing when people believe in you and something that you've built. So I owe you two gentlemen in the world for believing in me, for believing in the company, believing in the vision and being early. And I appreciate everything that you've done to support us, um, to challenge us, um, to be better and, and just really being the vanguard of the mission here. So thank you for being a part of the on-ramp family and for having me and forever grateful for it. So it means a lot to me truly. And I will never forget that you guys jumped on board early. So when we're a billion, quadrillion clients and everyone's, oh, all right. Like you guys, you guys jumped in where there was, to be honest, some kinks and things were working out, but the feedback, the trust, the confidence, the desire, and the willingness to take this journey with me means a lot. So I appreciate you both. Oh, no doubt, man. Obviously, we appreciate you guys. We couldn't be, be doing this thing without you. So until next time, my man, appreciate you. Absolutely. Looking forward to going to the moon on that rocket with you. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon, all right? Let's do it. Be well. Appreciate you all. Love and light to you. Thanks. If you want even more insights on the path to success, follow Ryan and Fran at Opulus LLC on Instagram and Facebook. Or check us out on the web at www.opulus.us. Lastly, the content of this podcast is not to be viewed as personal investment, legal, or tax advice. You should always consult with a professional advisor before implementing any topics discussed.